Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guests are Jennifer Bradshaw and Arash Kamiar, Director of Product and Senior Product Owner at NLP Logics, respectively. NLP Logics is a fast-growing AI services firm based in Florida that serves both the public and private sectors. They join me on today's podcast to talk about developing AI solutions with what they call a product mindset. Throughout the program, the pair emphasize that means shifting focus away from the unique technological capabilities of AI tools to the problems that customers suffer through every day and how those tools can be applied to solve them. Today's episode is sponsored by NLP Logics, and without further ado, here's our conversation. Jennifer and Arash, thank you so much for being with us on the program this week. Thank you for having us. Yeah, good to be here. Absolutely. Now, I like to think of this problem in terms of a video I think a lot of people have seen. And I think you might remember I brought this up uh, when we were planning this episode. But there's a very famous video that gets shared on LinkedIn all the time by executives. And usually it's with the message of here is how an, as an executive, you be nice to someone who's questioning you very rudely, who's maybe an employee. And it's the 1997 Developers Conference uh, held by Apple. And a developer is very mad at Steve Jobs because he doesn't like JavaScript. And without getting into the technical details, because that's actually what the glory of the video is all about. Steve Jobs basically makes the point, no one cares what the best technology is. Everyone cares if it solves their problem. And I bear the scars to prove you cannot sell technology around what the coolest thing on earth is. You can only sell technology around, here's your problem, that's the solution. And I think this is disseminated over the last 25 plus years into, quote unquote, the hammer and the nail. You have software developers that are obsessed with making the best possible hammer and business leaders who have nails. They have problems that need to be fixed. And sometimes the fanciest hammer is just not what's best suited. And I think your approach to this uh, as NLP Logics, and we just uh, I just wrapped your in, uh, the interview with Matt Berseth uh, just yesterday, and I was remarking on this exact dynamic. How do you, you know... How do you guys establish that very technical language you guys have in your name, NLP, natural language processing? And, you know, years ago we would have said, what the heck is that? And now that seems like a genius name to have, uh, especially because you guys seem to have the sixth sense of where to, you know, stay fixated on what that latest technology is. So just just backing up here, just as the hammer of in, in the nail problem, you, you guys talk about something called the product mindset as a way to kind of navigate this hammer in the nail problem. Tell us about the product mindset, what goes into this, and what does it mean as an organizational strategy? Jennifer, we'll start with you. Yeah, great question. And it's actually extremely simple. And I think that throws some people off because they think we're about to launch into this ginormous methodology. And it's really all about having focus and direction. So we're trying to really lead our clients to build things with purpose, being some, being cool, being using the latest technology doesn't necessarily mean you're building something that actually has value to end users and solves an actual problem. So we like to dive into what company strategic initiatives are. We want to know from that top level down, what is the driving force for their organization? Are they trying to reduce costs? Are they trying to generate new revenue? These are really important 
objectives to know, because that's also how we understand you want to invest in innovation. You have an objective to do cool things with technology. Well, do you actually have the money mm-hmm. to be able to execute on that plan, especially if you have no idea what the outcome looks like? So if you right. slow down and have a focus, know the problems you're solving, know the objectives that you need to achieve, it's going to save you money in the long run. Absolutely. Arash, you were about to jump in there. Yeah, because Jen just made a good point about, <laughs> do you have the money? So MIT just released a study where essentially like 25% of like specifically computer vision models that, that companies want to develop, only about 25% of them are going to be economically advantageous to that company. So three-fourths of these models, like it's just not worth it at this point. The time will come when it's going to be worth it, but at this point, it simply isn't. And just to piggyback off of what Jen said, like what we're good at doing is helping organizations. And I think this has to happen if you're going to develop a model, organize your mind, organize minds and objectives. So essentially, because you're going to have people scattered who want to do a whole bunch of different Uh. things. And then coming together and go, let's all get on the same page to actually identify the problems we want to solve. And then to that point, do we have the money to do it? Is it worth it? Because it may be a great problem to solve, but it may not be the right time. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I'm just a limited chat GPT user, but I think for folks that have been using it for more than a year or have had some kind of contact with AI for maybe more than a year, you notice a weird phenomena happening where you ask the chat GPT for a better version of whatever you want it to do, an email or anything else. You bring it back to yourself and then you write the better email, but you couldn't have gotten there without the chat GPT. So that's just, that's what occurs to me when you say organizing minds, you know, like in that we know AI is going to up the ante, but actually the final product may still come through your fingertips. It just might've been influenced by mm-hmm. AI. It might not, you're not, maybe it's not that chat GPT is going to give you that final email, but you're going to write it together. And actually it might really be your final fingertips, uh, at least uh, giving that the last touches on it. But even taking a step back, you know, I talked about the the hammer and the nail. You guys have a really interesting way of looking at, at kind of the hammer side. You call it solutionism or, or rather just being so, fixated on the solutions and and this is kind of built into industry you know i don't think dupont knew when they came up with the adhesive stickers you know what problem they were solving they had to go find that problem this is a very you know uh, this is very you know universal problem across industries but how do you tend to think of solutionism in the product mindset which really more sounds like a problem mindset because you really want to stay more focused on what the issue is for your customer yeah that's exactly it if you are solution oriented, you're always thinking about how you're going to come up with that great idea. You're about pushing the innovation and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you don't understand the problem you're solving, then you're just building cool things without having any sort of measurement to know if you actually met the need. Mm. Now, Matt, I think you're a man who loves analogies. So I have one for you. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. Okay, I've been thinking about this and I've been thinking about the fact that people will aimlessly wander into solutionism, building tech for tech's sake. Think about going to the grocery store when you are hungry and you have no shopping list. Do you not just wander the aisles and pick out anything that looks good to your stomach, not your brain, but it looks good to your stomach. And then you probably roll out of there at least $100 more than what you needed to spend. So I think that is the perfect analogy to describe how solutionism, while it's well-intended, can 
truly end up costing you more money if you don't know, oh, I have a weekly meal plan that I have to stick to. I'm on a specific diet. I want to be healthy. I'm on a budget. Here are all the things that I need to achieve that. I got to say, Jennifer, that that's one for the books. Yeah, I, and you 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 heard it first on this podcast. We can we can we can attribute. We don't know who said the hammer and the nail to software problems, but we know who said the grocery list. And it's a very compelling uh, an, uh, analogy. But Arash, anything to add there? Just in, I, I, I do find it very compelling, especially the empty stomach aspect. There's the old analogy of like, oh, you don't want to treat this like toys or, you know, like a simple non problem. But it, it that shows how it can. can it can turn into a problem, right? You don't have a plan and you're going with your basic gut hunger instincts, which are not informed, yeah. but go ahead. Yeah, what what I would say is, I think there's people who are probably listening to this podcast who, who do want to just explore. And so they may not know what problem they want to solve. And I think that even if you're just, your interest is R&D, like we just want to know what we can do. Even there, you can go in there with a very clean and like, targeted strategy to go, here is what we are going to research. We just want to know what it can do. Like if we want, we want to take our data and see how we can apply it to X, Y, Z. I think so. Even when you want to do R&D, like do it. If you want to see what cool thing you can build, I'm not like, we're not going to say no, but like be targeted even then, even yeah. in your research. Now, the thing about plans, and uh, as Alexander Hamilton San, uh, said, and I love this quote, plans are useless, but planning is everything. And I love, love that quote. And I think that speaks to our next problem, which is how do you stay agile? You walk in with the grocery list and without going too far on this analogy, which I still think is fantastic, you walk in with the grocery list, but they don't have you know, three or four items. You have to respond to the reality and not go with your stomach. So moving out of this analogy, we'll, we'll get more technical. Um, you know, business leaders need to maintain uh, agility when adopting the product mindset. I think there's a lot of legacy institutions, you know, folks listening. We've had folks from Google and MasterCard come on the show and talk about the models that they're breaking off and turning into products. I think other folks out there are anticipating being on the customer side of that new microservices space. But as we see this come to fruition, what's your advice, you know, for firms, maybe not those who were born in software development, so maybe more the MasterCards than the Googles or perhaps smaller and younger. But what's your advice for them in terms of having that balance of agility and the product mindset? So what's interesting is that I think to build with a product mindset and to maintain the purpose, you have got to be agile and you have to be okay with making fast decisions. The key is making data-driven decisions. When you start the analysis of data to understand what can and cannot happen with whatever solution you're trying to prove out, information will present itself on what is possible and why it's possible. We're also gonna uncover what is not possible or what might be more challenging. Instead of hemming and hawing over it, you need to get the right stakeholders in the room for fast decision-making. And then if it's a matter of we already have end users and we can get their feedback, then we have to start understanding where did we fail? What is not meeting the mark? Have our usage metrics gone down? Why is it? And we start to dig into it. Don't wait for somebody to knock on your door and tell you they think you have a mistake or you've messed up in any way, shape or form. You've got to proactively be looking at what you're trying to do and constantly measuring that against your success criteria. So the moment you see something, it's just like the New York City subway, say something. Right. I'm going to even take your analogy to the next level. It's the difference between having a grocery list and a meal plan, right? Because things aren't on the list. 
you still know what you want to eat or what, you know, what are the basic categories you still got to fill in to succeed in your mission, which is be on a diet, eat the way you want, um, you know, be more conscious in how you're eating. Of course. Hey, we're all there. I am too. But uh, just in the sense of, you know, if you have that larger plan and you know what your larger goals are, you can respond to the day-to-day inefficiencies or the, the lack of resources, the impossibilities, the impasses, that's the obstacles that that at least immediately stand in your way. Arash, anything to add there just in terms of how to navigate those straits and keep moving even though you're running into those roadblocks? Yeah, I think to piggyback off of what Jen said, what I love about the work that we do is so when you're trying to develop a model or any technology, you want you want to align it to your, your corporate initiatives and go, hey, is this going to make the best sense for what we're aiming to do? But when you're looking at what the data and you're looking at what your data says, the openness to say, you know what, our our corporate initiative here, we need to pivot it immediately because what we're seeing in our data is telling us something completely different and having that flexibility to go whoa like we're we're not going to try to take for the what is it square peg round hole yeah we're not going to try i I think that sometimes we'll take technology and try to ram it down to get it to align to what the goal we want instead of just saying the goal is wrong like our we can develop a technology to reach this other goal that makes more sense for our company and that's that's it speaks to an incredibly astute organization when they can pivot like that. Right. And 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 I, like just because analogies work so well here, then you are thinking about your diet. That, that's it. And you're thinking about it on a day to day basis. You're thinking about a plan holistically, you know, to to be a better person, to live a healthier life. And it, the same goes for your business in terms of how to approach data. Yeah, just I know that can be a real shock for folks because there's kind of two stages to the process, right? There's we don't know what problems or goal. Well, we don't know what, uh, what problems you don't know that you have the, the kind of the Donald Rumsfeld unknown unknowns. Right. But also we don't know what goals could be out there that if you, you know, switch your compass and make that your your Polaris, your your North Star, that actually a lot of these problems become a lot easier. Tell me a little bit about uh, preparing business leaders for that kind of realization, because that can, that can be a real shock. You know, anytime you think I got into this business, hey, I got into this, you know, the podcast business for for slightly more musical things. But here I am. And it's it's been a pretty rocking journey. How do you how do you prepare people for, for you know, to change goals? Yeah, really good question, because you have you have us, you have people like me and Arash walking into what could be an extremely large organization that have been in business for many decades, if not a hundred years, and they know what they're doing. And we are not experts in their business. And yet we have to sit across the table from them, look them in the face and nicely tell them they're wrong. <laughs> so... <laughs> We have a nice plan on how we try to soften the blow with the, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but this is what the data is saying and we think you should adjust. Everything starts with education. We really like to begin our journeys with our customer by educating them on why you would use AI and machine learning. What are you supposed to get out of it? Share some use cases so that they can see you can still do cool things and solve problems. But Immediately after that, after we get them really excited and we show the possibilities, we then sit down and say, now you have to open the hood of that car and and we need to look at the engine. We need to understand what's powering your organization and what you want to power your organization. So if we start capturing these ideas, we're not actually going to know they're going down the wrong path until we start hearing 
what success looks like for them. And then we get our hands on the data. So we usually have about a week or two before we have to prepare the speech of, we need to have a conversation or an intervention rather on your corporate objectives. So once we get that data and we begin our analysis and we start to understand the problems that they wanna solve or the goals that they have, what their data is really saying, we tell them a story. Everyone can understand a story. We don't just tell them no, but we tell them what the data means to them and what they can actually get from the data. And then we will make suggestions as to what we think might move the needle on a corporate initiative if you just pivot it slightly. And maybe it means dialing back the scope of what success looks like. It doesn't mean you have to completely abandon what your initial objective was for your organization that you're trying to solve. It just means it might take a little bit longer to get there because we have some impediments in the way that we have to overcome. So if we tell the story, we bring them on the journey with us, how can they say no? We're literally trying to make them better at what they do and make them more strategic by educating them and giving them the data-driven data driven answers that they need. And I'd say that people are surprisingly open and wanting this. And so and it's, to like, to, when they say like, we want to solve this problem, applying the Socratic method is, is, is an easy approach and it's helpful because everyone has to sort of dig, but just, well, why is that? You know, I'm, I'm going to try an analogy. We might have to cut out this analogy, but if they come to us and say, <laughs> they say, um, this is actually, <laughs> go for it. we, um, we want to paint our boat. And well, why do you want to paint your boat? Well, the, the paint is peeling and it looks terrible. Well, why is the paint peeling? Well, there are holes in the boat that's making the paint look terrible. Well, okay, so you actually, you want to paint a boat, but you're not solving the problem, right? So we want to make sure that we get the customer or whoever wants to build this model to go to the deeper layer and having them dig a little bit. Most people are so happy to do it, mm. even though it's challenging, but it feels good when you can get to the core of the issue. Yeah. Oh, Rosh, let me stay with you really quick, because I know this conversation has changed significantly over the last two, three years, let alone five, in that maybe five, 10 years ago, nobody really, you know, wasn't in everybody's hands. Business leaders were like, what is this? stuff. It's just Facebook, right? Uh, machine learning. And and it would be an uphill sell. Now you kind of have the opposite problem. There's the hype cycle. You know, not, not only are leaders using it, their kids are using it. They think they know everything about it. Tell us a little bit about kind of the challenges in terms of having this conversation in, in this new climate. Yeah, I, I I don't think it's challenging. I mean, it's an ex people's excitement adds too because uh, typically they're excited, and what we're going to have like mitigating approaches to it. Like we're not trying to mitigate your excitement. We're just trying to redirect it a little bit to go. Let's make sure it's pointed in the right direction. It makes the conversation so much easier because yeah. people are so much more open to going. How does this work for me? And because we've lived through sort of like this like technological boom coming through. Like I was in high school when email sort of took off, and then websites. Yep. We all sort of understand pay attention to technology like business yep. like they're not they're not slow to the role as they probably once were like we they understand when there's a new technology let's pay attention let's see how we can apply it and even if it's not the right time for them to apply it i am so excited that they're they're curious that yeah. they're curious can it work for me and i think people see us as their sherpa through the entire process and they're looking because they don't know what they don't know and they look at us and go, okay, you guys have been in business now for some time. You've, you've got some credibility under your belt. Guide us. 
And, mm -hmm. and we've heard that a lot. We see the fear and we see sometimes the lack of trust in technology and AI. And people will come to us specifically so that we can give them the guided experience so that they don't make mistakes. And if they feel like you are supporting them and you're educating them so that they can get rid of that mistrust for technology yep. um, and, and be humble enough to recognize that, yeah, mistakes happen. It's okay. We just pivot. Everyone has been really open-armed and open-minded with how they receive that open dialogue we have with them. Jen, how many times does a client come to you and say, challenge me? <laughs> That's so a much funny. much different environment than five years ago, right? It really is. It really yeah. is. Yeah, that's the, and 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 I would say I know I know we're analogies galore on this episode, but bring that to the marketing department. If you guys need a mascot, that's a good Sherpas. You know, in the in the grand scheme of it, you know, that's a free one. I, I got a free analogy from Thanks. Jennifer. We got to credit it on the show. That's a that's a free marketing campaign uh, from right. from Emerge. Anyway, guys, Jennifer Arash, thank you so much for being with us on the show. Had a real blast today. Same. Thanks, thank you, Matthew. Before we close out today's episode, I think it's a particularly important one, at least to map out a few points Jennifer and Arash made throughout the course of the episode. Starting at the top, Jennifer and Arash spoke in depth about the product mindset as a way for business leaders to avoid the typical pitfalls of AI solutions and model development. Essentially, many of the failures come from a focus on what they call solutionism, or focusing more on the unique capabilities of the solution you're developing rather than the workflow problems it can solve. In other words, focusing on technology for the sake of it. In order for the product mindset to work, organizations, teams, and leaders need to be agile. Doing so, the pair explains, means getting comfortable and thinking more outside of the box when it comes to metrics and goal. This means keeping a certain open-mindedness about the core business functions and how they might change as you obtain a more concrete and holistic view of organization-wide data collection and processing. That process can help leaders navigate difficult questions about the function and mission of the enterprise, but only if leaders are willing to go where the data is leading them in their digital transformations. Of course, a journey as Don as a digital transformation can always be helped by the company of an excellent guide. And I'll let our listeners be the judge of NLP logics on the merits of the business value they brought to today's episode uh, to those ends. On behalf of Daniel Fagella, our CEO, as well as the rest of the team here at Emerge Technology Research, thanks so much for joining us today. And we'll catch you next time on the AI in Business podcast.